Hello, everyone. This is John Sterling, and you're listening to the Curtain Call Podcast, featuring Sports Broadcasting Hall of Famer, Mr. John J. Filippelli, and his co-host, Kevin Sullivan. Flip the call at the hot stove, but I got to tell you, if I had a nickel for every time someone said cold stove, I'd be a rich man. What do you think? Uh, you really would be. I mean, there, this, this is a ice cold. I mean, it is an ice cold stove right now. There is not, there's no wood burning. There's, there's nothing burning. There's nothing going on. But why? Tell me why. I know you know why. Educate me. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I would go, I would say this. Okay. If I, let's say I would go, I'd go in this direction. I would say that there's like four or five players out there who are difference makers and the difference makers, their agents have put out what they believe their players should get. And it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a hefty sum of money and they, they're premier players. They're good players. But in this climate with, you know, the COVID and not knowing when, you know, where the spring training is, Sing training scheduled to start, you know, when it's always scheduled to start, but we may not, baseball may not start, may be slightly delayed. We don't know. Um, teams went through terrible losses last year. I mean, obviously, when you play, you know, you play 60 games instead of 162, you know, and it was no attendance. And a lot of your revenue streams were just, just you know, sliced and diced and, 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 and put into oblivion. Um, you know the, the clubs are, are being circumspect. I mean, uh, you you do you uh, is it easy? Is somebody going to say I'm going to? It's easy for me to say, oh, I'm going to give uh, I'm going to give somebody 25 million a year or 30 million a year for, you know, for six years, seven years, ten years. Is it that simple to commit when, you know, uh, when the industry is trying to write itself at the moment and see what direction we're going in? I mean, it's it's. It's 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 encouraging that the vaccine is there, and that uh, hopefully we'll be playing in front of people in not too you know not too long a time. We're hopeful, but it's clubs there's still too much uncertainty. It's a lot of money to to commit, and just because an agent says this is what my player should get doesn't mean that they're going to get it. And then then what do you do if you are those players? You don't want to sign or considerably lower than what you think you're worth. And, and where does that affect the rest of the market? So, cause everybody usually slots after you sign the, you know, the four or five or six big free the agents. Bowers, the Springers, right, the, yeah, Bowers, the Real Muto. You know, LeMay, you, you know, uh, Real Muto, those guys are the, those are the kind of like the big dogs. And, you know, they've, uh, they put out numbers uh, the minute they became free agents and no one, they haven't budged and, Nobody seems like they're chasing them. So, you know, this has, that has to figure itself out before it goes anywhere else. And then what do you do if you're some of the other players? So many really good players have been non-tendered, right? So if you wanted to rebuild the ball club right now, it's actually a, a pretty good time to do it because you could get for, 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 you know, for solid value without having to spend a fortune in money because the market is flooded with, with players. And this was always Marvin Miller's, I think Marvin Miller's nightmare was that there would be like free agents every year uh, and the market would be flooded. That's why 
you know, the players, the, the, the early CBAs and still to this day, it's a six year free agency because that way you don't flood the market. You know, you're not flooding the market every year. Now the market with, with all the non-tenders and, and, and players who will be out there to be gotten, uh, I'm telling you, I, I, it's, it's, I've never seen a market like this. And it's, it's understandable because, again, the, the economics of the game have to straighten themselves out right now. And, and teams, as, as we talked about, I just mentioned earlier, I mean, obviously have lost the fortune. The world has lost the fortune, uh, among other things. But the, the economics of the game have to get straightened out before they can figure out where they're going to, you know, who's going to sign with who, what, where, and what, what numbers. Well, that's, that's what's scary because the economics of the game aren't going to get figured out by February 15th. Let's use that as spring training. Whether or not mm-hmm. it holds true or not is a different story. They're simply players not going to get jobs, figured out. Right? Players are going to need jobs. I mean, if you're a baseball yeah. player, I do this for a living. Like, I would use this example. And again, this is just my head. And I'm not saying this is, you know, you should take this to the bank. No pun intended. Okay. I, I, I would say if you are a player, and this is what you do for a living. You're, you're a baseball player, okay? And if you, you know, the, there was an old, the, the old adage years ago when there was a, a, a labor situation in uh, Lee Iacocca and General Motors where he said, uh, you know, I have no jobs at, uh, at $20 an hour, but I've got like 100,000 of them at 18, right? And I'm not saying this is an analogous, obviously it's not an analogous situation. All I'm saying is that, the 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 owners the revenue streams have been have been blown up. I mean, the only revenue stream that's is television. And if you don't play as many, we don't even know how many games are going to play, right? So even television has got some uh, some uncertainty to it. And uh, I was reading a story the other day about ESPN maybe not making the same offer. Maybe they're going to make a lower offer than they have for the for the baseball rights. So all this is up in flux because the world is in flux. So it's hard to, to say, these are my economics. You, you, to, to, in order to pay people, you know, you have to have economics. You're not, you try not to spend more money than you bring in. I mean, that's a basic law of economics, right? You want to be able to, you want to be, able to be fair. You want to, be able to pay people. But you also have to be in a situation where you know what your revenue streams are. Right now, baseball has a lot of uncertainty, as does the rest of the world. As that abates and things clear up, hopefully, in not too you know um, long a time, then I think that you know this will 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 find itself a way, and, and the market will right itself. But that's why the market is the way it is right now. It's just way too much too much uncertainty. There are some teams making moves, not so much in free agency, but more on the trade side. Uh, the Mets being one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week we learned Francisco Lindor as well as Carlos Carrasco coming over to the Mets. Um, as a Yankees fan, I love it. I think it's great. It's one fewer team with deep pockets going after DJ LeMahieu. Yeah, I mean, certainly you, you, that's one way to look at it. Uh, but, you know, look, Lindor is one of the top 10 players in baseball. I mean, he just is. He, I mean, there's nothing he can't do on the field. And um, the, the Indians weren't going to be able to hold on to him. So, you know, so, so they, they traded him. I mean, obviously, if they could have held him, you don't, you don't trade a player like Lindor. If you if you could help it, they they just couldn't help it. Uh, I was I mean, and that's been speculated for a long time. Everyone sort of knew that Lindor's days with the Indians were numbered. What surprised me was Carrasco, because it's hard to get quality starting pitching, and he came back. He rebounded in a big way 
you know, from, from his struggles with cancer uh, two years ago. He rebounded in a big way last year. He's a solid starting pitcher. He may not be a one uh, or two, but he's a three. He's at least a three, maybe he's a two and a half. And, you know, he's a quality starting pitcher. And it's hard to find quality starting pitching. So I was just – I was a little surprised that he was included in the deal. But, uh, but I, I will tell you, I think the Mets made a good deal in getting uh, both uh, Lindor and in getting uh, Carrasco. And I don't understand. now the Mets will see if they can sign Lindor long-term. I, you know, that'll be, that'll be the test. But, you know, we'll see what, this, what Steve Cohen has up his uh, sleeve. Well, that's a good point, right? So the Mets either have to win the World Series or lock in Lindor. Otherwise, the trade's a bust. Well, it's hard to say it's a bust because uh, they did not give up. I mean, they gave up some. They gave up some good prospects, but they're not their top prospects. You know, the, the, their top infield prospect was not traded. The top outfield prospect, their top pitching prospect. So they gave. I mean, they traded prospects, but they weren't their top tier prospects. So I was surprised that actually that the Mets didn't have to give up more in the deal to to get these two guys because. You know, listen, look, the Mets are trying to change a culture. I mean, this has been a culture that has been been losing and has had, you know, a, a negative connotation attached to it in terms of spending money and, and, and has been for a very long time. So, and they're trying to win their fan base back. I mean, there's so many things that, they're, that they need to accomplish. They had to, they had to, you know, go out and try to get some big names that, you know, I, I keep hearing names like Chris Bryant is also on the market. I can see the Cubs because his time is drawing to a close with the Cubs unless they resign him and doesn't look like that's going to happen right now. I mean, I could see him in a deal going to the Mets if the Mets and the Mets still have prospects they could deal because clearly that's what the Cubs are going to want. Clubs are going to have to go to some kind of quasi rebuild here because they are, they've still got good players. But, I mean, everybody thought that they would be, once they won the World Series, that they were in for a run. And they never really had that run that everybody thought they were going to take, make. So they, they've got some, they've got some uh, moves that they need to make. And they, quite candidly, they could get some quality prospects for someone like a Chris Bryant. We'll get back to the Yankees, but I, I want to go back to Carrasco real quick. Yeah. And all joking aside, do the Indians just not want good starting pitching? They just trade between Clevenger and Bauer and Carrasco. I don't understand these trades. I, I honestly, I can't answer it either. I, I wish I could, you know, give you some sage advice as to why, uh, or explanation as to why that happened. I don't. I, it's, I mean, you also, you know, I mean, although he was getting, he was getting older, Kluber, you forget about Kluber, you know, uh, you know but, but he still obviously has, you know, value and worth. I mean, so, I mean, so, you know, I guess they feel, I don't know what they feel. Uh, you know, the people who run the Indians, smart people, you know, I, I, they, with success. I mean, their GM is a very successful, you know, GM, you know, Shapiro. And, you know, he's been around and has had success. And I, you know, I, I, they must know, obviously, well, anytime things like this happen, you say, it can't be as obvious as, as being obvious. I mean, it's like, because these are not dumb people. You look at this and say, there has to be something, there has to be things that they know that we don't know. Or maybe there's a plan that says, hey, you know what, we've got young arms coming and, you know what, we don't want to have to pay because we can't pay everybody. And, you know, that's why you lose a Lindor, because you can't pay him. If they could pay him, I'm sure he'd probably want to stay there. Because Cleveland is a very good baseball town. And he's had success there, you know? I think the Indians' payroll now is at $34 million. 
this this coming season. Well, Mike he's, Trout he's makes more than that. that. Yes, well, he's he's better than that team. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, what, see, that's it. I mean, but once you you start going through that team, I mean, they've been, they've jettisoned a lot of really good players. And first, you say it's part of a rebuild. You say, all right, okay, I get a rebuild, but you know, but but what what are you what are you building off of? I mean, to rebuild, you gotta you gotta get pieces. And so far, I don't see where these pieces have come from or you know where they are. I don't I don't I don't see it. Well, as a fan of the uh, the movie Major League, yeah, that that's what I'm going off of. I think they're doing a a real life life imitates art Major League impersonation. So they should get Charlie Sheen, <laughs> Lou Brown to manage. I like that. <laughs> uh, let's let's continue around the league before we get back to the Yankees because the Padres are almost legitimately putting an all star at every position. Did, did that Blake Snell? Did that surprise you? And you, Darvish, did that surprise you? Uh, this is clearly A.J. Preller's last stand. I mean, the GM, this is clearly his last stand. Because when he left the Red Sox to go to the Padres, first he went in and they spent all kinds of money and they got all kinds of big-name players, and it didn't work. Then they went to a rebuild where they got rid of all those players and they started just building the farm system. And that didn't work. So now we're back to getting as many good players as we possibly can. But, but they're seeing the – see, here's the difference. They're seeing the fruits of the farm system because, you know, they've got some really good young pitching that has come up through the farm system. And obviously they just acquired Snell. And, you know, and, and that's, a, that's, a big, that's a big get. Um, they got somebody else. I'm blanking on who else they You got. Darvish. Darvish, sorry, the Darvish as well. I mean, those are big gets. So you've got now you've got and and you know what? And they've still got plenty of life in the tank, particularly Snell. So I guess Snell had to be moved for a combination of him being miserably unhappy with what he was being paid, uh, although he had signed a contract that uh, you know was uh, at the time was you know supposedly one that he could live with, but I guess he couldn't. So he was unhappy. And then there was all the fallout from the World Series with. We can take it out of the game and, and whose fault that was. And he pointed fingers at, at management, upper management, say it was their decision, it wasn't Kevin Cash's. I mean, we go on forever here. So clearly this was not working anymore and he had to be moved. So so they moved him. But I mean, you know, you've got you've got Machado, you've got Tatis, uh, Tatis Jr., who's I mean, I haven't seen a player this interesting to me. Uh, I don't want to say, I mean, uh, Trout, I mean, uh, Trout is Trout, but outside of Trout, I haven't seen a player this interesting to me since, since Griffey Jr. That's how much I like Tatis. Yeah, I agree. And you can't forget, did you say Machado? Machado, I think you did. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. There's a good team here. Are they better than division rival Los Angeles Dodgers? I don't think they are, but I do think that they're right behind them. And anything can happen because, you know, with the playoffs quickly be expanded now, you don't have to win a division to get there. There's wild cards. There's other ways to go. So, you know, listen, they, they, and, and with the Dodgers, it's a game of thing about baseball that makes it is obviously injuries. So Dodgers get some key injuries. All of a sudden the Padres could be, could be that team. I mean, the Padres are going to be – they're already very good. Now they're going to be really good. So you got them. They're really good. The Braves are really good. You know, they really are. People forget about them. But the Dodgers were lucky to get past the Braves. The Braves are really good. 
And, you know, and the uh, American League, you know, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, you know, right now uh, are, are powers. But, you know. Are they your biggest threat? Know. Sorry. Sorry to cut I'm, you off. Are the Blue yeah. Jays the Yankees' biggest threat in the East? I think they are. I, don't, I mean, I don't think the Red Sox are there, you know, yet. I don't think they're back yet. I, I mean, I certainly don't think, you know, the, uh, the Orioles don't do anything to me. I think the Rays got weaker by, you know, you don't lose a player like, like you know, like Snell. You don't lose some of the players that they've lost uh, since the end of the season and get better. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think that they really have that great a farm system. I think the thing that made the the uh, the, the uh, Rays special to me was the fact that they had a philosophy and they got players who fit the philosophy. That's why I think Snell sort of probably had to go because he didn't fit the philosophy. It wasn't he he you know put himself in a position where he wasn't buying into everything he was told. He wasn't buying into what it was being sold. The, the, everybody on that the the Rays that made the Rays good, they're role players. I mean, they got one or two star players, no doubt, but most of those guys are role players. And on other organizations and other teams didn't mesh all that well. They didn't know their role. They didn't know, you know, uh, um, uh, but in, in, in a place like Tampa Bay, with a manager like Kevin Cash, everybody knew exactly what their role is. You're a starter. You're a reliever. You come off the bench. You play Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, and you play the rest of the week. Everybody knew what their job was, and there's something to be said for that, and that's why that's why the Rays were successful in a very limited limited with very limited resources. You know what? While we're bouncing around the league, um, we'd be remiss if we didn't go back to the Dodgers and mention that the baseball world did lose a legend last week in Tommy Lasorda. Uh, Flip, I know you actually knew Tommy, right? How'd you know him? And tell us a little bit about your relationship with him. Well, I mean, for many years, um, I started my career at NBC, NBC Sports, and I worked on the baseball game of the week. And that's when there really was just one game of the week, not seven other games. There really was just the Saturday game of the week. So if you lived in Chicago and say you wanted to watch the Yankees, the only way you could see them on television was to watch the NBC game of the week. Or you were a, I don't know, you were a uh, Chicago White Sox fan and you wanted to see the Yankees, the only way you could see them was on the NBC game of the week. There really was only one game uh, then. Uh, now you've got... Obviously, think the whole world has changed. You've got satellite. You've got all these packages. You've got every game available. You can see anything, anytime. It's a, a different world. But back then, it was pretty, pretty simple. And so I worked on on those packages. That's where I cut my teeth as a as a baseball producer. First, you know, coming up through the ranks, and then eventually becoming a producer, then a coordinate producer. I did baseball. I did the game of the week. I did all star games and the World Series. I did all that. So in the course of my career there. Uh, and then later on in Fox uh, as well. I mean, I ran into Tommy countless times. I did. I, I can't tell you how many Dodger games I worked through the years and in postseason games as well. So you couldn't you couldn't do all that and not meet Tommy. And Tommy was as you know as friendly and as outgoing a guy as you'd ever want to meet. He was easy to like. He was easy to be friends with. Uh, I had the most fun uh, around him and with him than I may have had about anybody I've ever known in the game of baseball. He was a tremendous ambassador for the game. He was, uh, he always had stories and it was countless stories. I mean, you could, you want to be entertained, just put a microphone in front of Tommy and he would just go for, 
you know, for, if you can go for weeks if he had to. And uh, I will tell you a very quick story where I was doing, a, uh, when NBC at one time was in the NCAA basketball business, I know it sounds like a million years ago, the tournament, and CBS has it now and has took it from NBC and they've kept it ever since. But at the time, so NBC was looking to counter program in March when they lost the tournament. So we decided we'd do some spring training baseball. And I've, I'm going to go with this as like 19, I want to go 89 because the, the Dodgers had won the World Series in 88. Uh, and um, so they were a hot team. So we, we programmed them against the Mets. They and the Mets had played uh, in the LCS in 88, and they were both pretty big teams. So we decided we'd put on a spring training game just to see how we did on a Saturday. Anyway. So it's a spring training game and sometimes spring training games, and I don't mean to upset anybody who loves spring training games, but sometimes they could be a little less than scintillating. Okay. And this game that we were doing was really less than scintillating. I mean, I would, it was like watching paint dry, except it's not fair to paint paint. I mean, that's how bad <laughs> this game was. And so um, you know, Tommy's in the dugout and we have a cameraman in, 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 with a camera and just obviously taking his shots and he's in the dugout as well. And I could talk to the cameraman. So uh, the game was so bad. So uh, Tommy Lasorda leans over and he says to the cameraman, he says, say, how's Flip doing? Say hi to Flip for me. So the cameraman says, hey, Flip, Tommy wants to say hello to you. Hi, Tommy. I say, hey, put him on. So he puts them on. So we're not, that's how meaningless this game is. We're having a conversation during the game, him and I, on the headset. So he says to me, how's it going in there? I said, Tom, this game is awful. I mean, this is like, I, 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 he says, is this something I could do? I said, yeah, why don't you go out there and start an argument? You know, start an argument, have some fun. He says, do you want to go out there and start an argument? I said, yeah, I mean, put some life into this game. I mean, this is like, uh, uh, this is like the dregs of humanity. So I never really thought he was going to do it. And I don't even know why I suggested it, but guess the next thing I know, you know, Tommy goes out and he started an argument with Doug Harvey. Now Doug Harvey was at the time was considered, he, his nickname was God. All right. That was his nickname because he was so universally respected as an umpire. And he was, he dealt, he did, didn't suffer fools at all. And he was by the book, you know, that kind of guy, that kind of umpire. So Tommy goes out and he starts an argument with Doug Harvey over a ball and a strike. Now, Doug Harvey says to him, you know, what are you doing? It's, you're really going to start an argument? It's a spring training game. What's wrong with you? He says, he says I'm sorry. I, I got to correct the wrong when I see it. It's a bad call. Oh, and he's screaming at Doug Harvey. And Doug Harvey says, Tom, I can hear him. He say, Tommy. I'm going to have to throw you out. So stop or I'm going to throw you out. But Tommy keeps going. He keeps going. He keeps going. And eventually, so Doug Harvey says, all right, enough. You got Boom. Thumbs him. Throws him out. So he goes, he's going back to the dugout. And he, he sits he, he sits and Harvey says, I mean it. You're gone. Get out. Right? <laughs> so now I'm sitting there. I feel horrible. So just so Tommy grabs his thing and he's going back to the clubhouse. And he says to the cameraman, he says, hey, S flip, was that okay? Was that all right? Classic. I mean, that, that was Tommy, that was Tommy Lasorda. I mean, fun, great. Um, um, and everybody who played for him loved him. I didn't, I didn't. And I mean, sometimes I guess in a sport, in any sport, in any game, in any business, you're not going to be universally loved. Okay. And I don't know that Tommy was universally loved, but he came pretty close. Okay. He really did because he, he was square with people. And God, I mean, I will tell you when, 
when I would be at Dodger Stadium doing Dodger games and I would go to the clubhouse to say hello because we go down to the clubhouse and, you know, talk about some of the things we have to talk about about the game. And I would go see him and say hello. And, you know, a box of Ganolis would come out. Ganolis. Then he'd say, hey, look, I got this new picture from Frank Sinatra. I mean, celebrities that would go in there. You couldn't go in there without seeing Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., Billy Crystal. I mean, it was like, a, it was like a, just a, a convention of celebrities and famous people. Tommy made everybody feel welcome, everybody feel important. And he was just a great man, and I, I loved him to death, and so did about everybody that I knew around baseball. Well, he certainly will be missed. I think uh, he is the definition of bleeding Dodger blue. In fact, he, he might have come up with that term, I think. I, I think he did. I think that that was his uh, – uh, th- there's a story about that, too, about Hideo Nomo, who you know, had come from Japan, and he didn't speak the language. And so they got an interpreter to try to figure out. So he says, the interpreter says, uh, he wants to know, is there any English you could teach him? And Tommy said to him, yes, bleed Dodger blue. <laughs> I actually saw that on MLB Network uh, yeah. so over the weekend. That, that is a famous story. Mm-hmm. That is funny. Uh, as promised, we'll transition into the Yankees before we do. Uh, we should probably remind everybody, rate, review, and subscribe. That is the best way you could help us. Uh, and we should probably tell everybody who they're listening to, who's in their air, earbuds, AirPods. That's what they're called these days. Uh, I am Kevin Sullivan from the digital media department here at Yes. Alongside, as always, Sports Broadcasting Hall of Famer, Mr. John J. Filippelli. How are you, Flip? I am. Thank you, Kevin. It's, I was wondering when we get around to introducing ourselves, but, and we, we really are not like, we can't say we're like people who don't need an introduction because we do. So it's nice that, uh, and I want to say something because we haven't talked about this. We haven't been able to do a show in a while. And now I want, we're going to get back to, we're going to be doing shows with regularity, which I do one every week. Now we're getting, you know, uh, uh, because there is, like I said, the hot stove market is, even in the state that it's in, I mean, it's story. And, you know, and, and obviously this will unsettle itself and the log jam will break at some point and we'll go back and we'll have baseball. And, you know, there's a lot of things to talk about. And so we, we love, we love the game. We love talking about the game and we love our Yankee baseball, but you know, we, you know, we also love to have fun and, and uh, we hope that we give people some entertainment value. And we've heard from a lot of people in our absence. So I, I appreciate that people are listening and, and want to see, want to hear from us and want to, want to hear our shows and, and thank you for supporting us because, you know, obviously we can't do this without people's support and friendship. Well, friendship. I, don't know if they friendship. I call them friends. Yeah, they are friends. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, they, they are friends. I mean, it becomes a little, a, a family and, you know, and uh, I still want to hear uh, some more. Like people have been pretty good about writing us with questions, but we can get more questions. I mean, we'll certainly read them and we'll try to answer them. And you know, we'll give you a little bit more behind the scenes because when we started the show, we, initially we also said we would talk a lot about yes and a lot going on at yes, and we can start talking about behind the scenes at yes because people are interested in the broadcast business as well. You know, interested in baseball, but also. Obviously, how, how a broadcast network works, and you know, we'll take them behind a little the the, uh, the the curtain a little bit and give them a peek through. That's always fun. So you mentioned paint drying. I'm changing the subject real quick. Um, I watched paint dry over the uh, holiday break. 
It was called The Queen's Gambit. Did you watch that yet? On oh, I loved it. You hated it? I thought the story itself was amazing. Yeah. But it was the TV equivalent of paint drying. Like, oh, they could have done that in two and a half hours. I didn't need seven hours. Well, I mean, I, I can't speak to your limited attention span, which I know exists. Uh, but I would say that I thought it was great. I mean, I mean that, that was a great story. It was so well done. so well acted. It was really well written. It was well acted. Uh, maybe it was too long. I mean, I, I, I could see that point. I, I will concede that. You know, but a lot of these things are, are too long, I suppose. Uh, but um, but I, I, I really enjoyed it. And I, uh, I, I think they're going to win a lot of, I think that show's going to win a lot of awards. It was, it was a miniseries on Netflix, right? This yeah, yeah. Six or seven episodes. I forget how many it was, but it was, uh, it was, I mean, I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm venturing out. I'm, I'm branching out my taste in television uh, more now. I'm watching more, you know, uh, various things that I'm, I'm not limited to like, you know, uh, the Jackie Robinson story, you know, and just all this, all the baseball stuff. I mean, cause all I would ever watch would be sports and well, I love sports and I love baseball, but you know, this, you know, life is, you know, it's more to life than just baseball, right? There is, but let's talk about the Yankees anyway. Yes, well, that's true. Let's talk about the Yankees. <laughs> let's not bite the hand that feeds us here. No, let's not. So last week we learned the Yankees acquired Greg Allen from the Padres. Uh, unless they think they're uncovering the next uh, Luke Voigt or Aaron Small, my guess is he's more insurance. Am I right? I, I would think so. You know, I uh, I would think. So. Look, I, I have a lot of respect for the Yankee for the Yankee scouting uh, department because. You know they do they do an incredible job of finding talent, and there are so many players that I would say I think I say they must see something I don't see. And guess what? They usually do. They usually have. They're very good at at, at this. So I'm you know I'm I'm curious to see how this unfolds for them. But but you know but clearly you know listen, um, there are moves there are moves that you make that you just uh, on the surface, you don't get right away or you see sometimes it's usually with veteran players where you'll see a move get made and you'll say like, wow, why did they give up on this? Why don't they keep this veteran? Well, you know, uh, you know, also, I uh, also remember something. Yankees have a high payroll. Okay. And you know, veteran players cost a lot of money. They do. So I'm not saying you shouldn't spend money. I mean, the Yankees spend plenty of money. You know, the Dodgers spend plenty of money and the Cubs spend money and the Red Sox spend money. A lot of teams spend money here. So this isn't about like oh, every move is one of austerity. Sometimes it's just one of you. You just, I mean, how many $30 million players can you afford? How many $25 million players can a team afford? Seriously. When you look at right. it, you say, you know, like uh, I'm uh, the, the test to me on the Yankees this year, honestly, is going to be this. I see it. I see it. There's a lot of like little moves. Okay. These are not little moves. This is going to be how many of their pitchers come back to support Cole. Okay. We, we know what Garrett Cole is. We, we know how great he is. We know he's one of the top pitchers in the game and we know he's the ace of the Yankees. Okay. Severino hopefully comes back and can play the way he did before he got hurt. And there's every reason to believe he will. That's solid because if you're going to win a championship, you got to have two guys at the top. You have to have one and one A who can really give you a win consistently. And that would give the Yankees that combination, hopefully. 
Herman hopefully comes back from his difficulties. I mean, that's really important. You know, uh, the continued development of Garcia. And I really like Schmidt. I really like Schmidt. So, you know, if the Yankees get contributions from those, and Montgomery, I mean, if he's your back end, one of your back end starters, that's pretty good. The Yankees starting pitching will put them in a really good way. And, but if those things don't happen or happen in a limited way, then the Yankees will be faced, have their challenges here. They'll have to put up a bunch of runs, which leads me to my next question. Um, did you see the rumors or reports that the Yankees are interested in Yasiel Puig? Uh, is he a good fit for the Yankees? I should say, I'm sorry to cut you off before you start, just reports. I don't know how much interest. Maybe it's minute or maybe there's a lot. I don't know. Just could be agents, you know, agents have a way of doing things like that. I mean, could Puig, does Puig have talent? Puig has talent. He definitely has talent. Talent. I mean, he strikes out a little too much. He strikes out a lot too much, um, to be honest with you. But he's got he's got a lot of athletic talent. Um, at the right price, you know, I, I could see it. I, I, I could see it because if you're looking at some of your other possibilities to play the outfield, I don't know if they're as strong as Puig. You know, Puig is pretty good. Puig is talent. You know, he—he, he, I'm not saying he's, uh, you know, he's uh, an an elite player. I am saying is he's a talented player with a lot of athleticism. So you know, sometimes and he hasn't quite hit his. Uh, I don't think he's old enough where uh, people should be concerned about the age thing. So I think he has he has things to offer, and I think under the right set of circumstances, he could be a decent fit for the Yankees. And. You know, you see, you, you, you try it and you see. I mean, because I don't know I don't know what the Gardner's future is going to be or Tockman's future is going to be in the outfield. And let's face it, I mean, Stanton gets hurt. You know, Hicks gets hurt. Judge has gotten hurt. I mean, you know, if those guys are healthy and right, that's a different outfield. But they're not always healthy and right. And this is the year that they've – all everybody has question marks about their health and, the, and they have to really – they have to step up and they have to be healthy. I mean, that goes with, I guess, with any team, but particularly the Yankees. If the Yankees can be healthy and the Yankees could have those pitching question marks that I brought up come through, the Yankees, the Yankees could be world beaters. But, you know, they're going to have to have some help. Well, you nailed it with Puig on what's it cost. That's all it comes down to is what's it – if you can pay him like a fourth outfielder, then I'm in. Uh, otherwise, if you look at his 162-game average, his numbers aren't all that different than a Clint Frazier and you're paying him 9.7 million less. Yes, correct. So, uh, and Frazier went from a player who was a nice spare part to a player they were going to trade to a player now that I don't think they can trade. I don't think right. they can trade him at all because of the, the uncertainty as to some of the health of the, the other outfielders. Yeah, I mean, like you, if it's cost, he's a right field, right-handed bat. We, Yankees could use a left-handed bat. Uh, Yankees have a right fielder. He is a right fielder. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of cons, I think. Some pros, but there's a lot of cons. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. One thing we don't have to wait and see is where Phil Hughes is going. It looks like he uh, last week announced his retirement. Uh, definitely a fan favorite, uh, especially from the 09 Yankees. Your thoughts on Phil Hughes? Um. He never quite became the elite starting pitcher that I think he was envisioned, the Yankees envisioned he was going to be. He was one of their, their very top prospects. 
never really became, like I said, an elite starting pitcher. Um, I wouldn't say he, was, he wasn't terrible, but he never was a one. He was, I don't even know if he was a two. Uh, he probably was more like a three as a starting pitcher. His biggest year actually was 09 when he pitched out of the bullpen. It was like just, just awesome out of the bullpen. He had a tremendous year out of the bullpen. But, you know, a lot of players don't want to, um, you know, don't, the money is made in starting pitching more than relieving. And, you know, a lot of guys, uh, you know, want to be starting pitching. So, uh, you know, Phil had a chance to, you know, be in Minnesota and be a starter, and he went to Minnesota. And he's a good guy. He's a really good guy. He's great in a clubhouse. He's got an awesome sense of humor. He'll probably be a great broadcaster for somebody. Uh, you know, I would say yes, but I don't want to get myself in any more trouble with – uh, Any more trouble? Well, I'm always in trouble. I mean, I, I, for up to me, I'd have like 7 million broadcasters. I probably have just about that many <laughs> right now. Anyway, but I – but, you know, because I, I, I like talented people. And uh, I, I think that a guy like Phil Hughes can offer uh, just as, as a broadcaster, it's just so much, so much talent. I think he'd be great. Great. He's funny. I mean, you should, uh, people should follow readers, you know, if you follow on Twitter or you over his blogs or stuff, you, you'll, you'll see how funny he is and how smart he is. He was very well liked, extremely well, great parents, by the way, extremely well liked as a player. And uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm happy. I'm interested to see where he goes because he will go someplace, and I guarantee he'll be a broadcaster. I don't, I don't know for whom exactly, but he will. And he's a good guy. And uh, but I, but as a starting pitcher, he, you know, he was, he was, you know, he was okay. He just was, but he was nothing more than that. More than eighty million dollars over the course of his career. That's not bad. No, it's like being an executive producer. <laughs> he he's uh, always bunched and lumped in with Java Chamberlain and Ian Kennedy, right? So the three of them came up together. Right. Um, who had the best career? It's obviously not Jabba. Um, but you can make a case, Hughes or Kennedy. He, I think they're both right there. Um, but that's not to say that either one of them had great careers. Like they Ian had Kennedy, very nice careers. Uh, yeah, he's had, he's, had, he's, had a, he's had an okay career. You know, he's, you know, he's, he's, uh, was a respectable starter. Hughes was a respectable starter. I mean, Jabba had the most fame and Jabba had the, the, the shortest span, but the greatest concentration of success, you know, and it wasn't as a starter, it was as a reliever. And, um, you know, I, he just never, he never became, the starter that the Yankees envisioned he could be. I mean, they moved him to the pen early on. He, we had great success. And then when they, at the end of his Yankee tenure, when they put him in and made him a starter, it just was something that uh, wasn't meant to be. So some people just, some people just don't, are not great starters. Some people are better relievers. Some people can relieve start. I mean, you got to find your niche, but, uh, but, uh, but Jabba, I'll tell you what Jabba had. And this is a shame because he's not, he's out of the game now. Whatever, Job had a lot of charisma. Uh, in terms and in terms of the fans, I mean, Job Chamberlain was a beloved Yankee. I mean, he only played like what I think four years. I mean, was it four? Maybe Stucco. We got Matt Stucco, our producer. Matt Stucco. Yeah, uh, I, I like Matt. I wouldn't call him a producer. I mean, I would call him <laughs> a handy man. Or I, mean, I, I happen to like Stucco, but, you know. I seven know years he was. with the Yankees. He was seven years with the Yankees. Why did I go four? So is what I know. Because you wished it was four, because three weren't so great. I guess not. 
And he played a little bit more, right? He played for a couple of other teams played the, like Detroit, that. Royals the Indians, and Indians. The, yeah. yeah, the Royals, the Indians, the yeah. Uh, I'll tell you. Blue Jays, Blue Jays, maybe. When that slider was on, that brief period period yeah. where here Jabba yeah. Mania, that slider was unhittable. Yeah, oh no doubt. No doubt. I mean, oh, it's yeah. unfortunate because a lot of because sometimes you're young as a player and you don't, you know, you make mistakes and you know, you're young. Everybody makes mistakes, young or old. But sometimes when you're young, you make a disproportionate amount of mistakes because you just think things are gonna last forever and you know, they don't. And uh, you know, and Jabba made some mistakes, but Jabba was a good guy, and I uh, uh, and I enjoyed watching a pitch, and I enjoyed getting to know him. I I knew him at one point. Uh, I'm not in touch with him anymore, but I at one point I knew him pretty well, and I I really liked him. So I'm uh, uh, and Jabba's run into a lot of misfortune. So, but but uh, but he was a good guy, and uh, yeah. Listen, it, the game is funny like that. I mean, you could be successful, you know one minute, one game, one year, two years, and then you're not. Or you could struggle for – Sandy Colfax struggled for five years. Uh, I mean, literally was all – the Dodgers almost traded him ten different times. He went on to become, you know, one of the greatest pitchers that had that run of the five, six years that no pitcher maybe in the history of baseball, maybe I mean, maybe Cy Young, I guess, but outside of that has ever had. So, you know, you you it's a funny game like that and how um, – I mean, you just don't know. And sometimes the best prospects don't really get very far. And then there are guys who say, come up and like, like uh, Mike Piazza goes undrafted as a favorite. There's Lasorda again, by the way, uh, as a favorite of Tommy, uh, Dodgers take him and goes to the hall of fame. So things happen. Well, any chance for me to bring up BJ Serhoff's name? I will. I think he was drafted first overall and yeah, didn't quite go? have the career, but I was a huge BJ Serhoff fan. Were you? Um, Huge. Yeah, I, I thought he was going to be the next big thing. Did he play for the Orioles at one time? He did, yeah. You know what? Once he left um, Milwaukee. Well, once he moved from catcher to outfield, his, yeah. his numbers were that much different. Yeah. Yeah, he, he did so much better as an outfielder. Um, he'll never be he in the Hall of Fame. Good career. He had a good career. Yeah, nice career. Hall of Fame's out this, this month. Really? Yeah. I'm gonna look up who uh, who's available. I would be. Yeah, I I don't see any first timers going. Can I can I read you off some first timers? Sure. All right. I think the only two that have a chance here are Tim Hudson or Mark Burley. Foyer fame. Foyer, I like that foyer fame. Right, not really a hall. Then go. There's not a hall. It's like it's like a closet of fame. It's the like the foyer fame. Um, Burley had a pretty good. I was we were talking about this three, before we we actually did some prep. So the three of us were talking a little <laughs> bit about Burley, and that would be you, me, and Stucco. Stucco, by the way, that's his name. He doesn't it's that Matt. It's his name Stucco. Like that's it. So right. we were talking a little bit about this, and I was actually surprised at Burley's numbers. I didn't. Uh, I I remember he's a solid pitcher. You know, some uh, the perfect game, a great catch that Wise made, and. You know, he had some nice yeah, – DeWise made – he had some nice years. I just didn't realize he had more of them than I thought. So he was a good – he's a good player. He was a good pitcher. I don't, I think I, – I think that's an uphill climb, though. I mean, I don't Agreed. see the Hall of Famer. I, uh, I don't. I mean, even if you're, you're stretching it to try to put somebody in, I, I don't see it. I don't see Hudson either. And uh, 
And who else? I mean, I know there'll be a lot of guys on the ballot, but there's nobody that jumps out at you. Usually there's one or two. If you have to think about it, they shouldn't be in. That's a good way of putting it. Um, as we record this, pull back the curtain a little bit. It is Monday. Um, by the time people are listening to it, it will have been over, I'm sure. Yeah. But on Monday's Yankees hot stove, our own Jack Curry is going to reveal his ballot. Uh, and he says that he's actually voting for somebody for the first time who has been on the ballot and he never voted for this person. So for the first time, he's going to change his mind and vote for that person. Uh, I don't know who it is. All I know, it's not Clemens and it's not Bonds. Okay. So, well, I'm going to watch anyway. So now I have an extra reason to watch Yankee Hats though. <laughs> My guess is it's either Manny Ramirez Jeff Kent or Kurt Schilling? Schilling. Schilling, you think? Yeah. Yeah. Put the controversy aside. There's a lot of controversy with Schilling. Right, personal controversy. Put that aside for a second. I, I, I don't see the other two. You name three. I, I, I see Schilling more than I see the other two. Do you see yeah, that? I do too. Yeah, I mean, I think it's part of Schilling's part. I mean... Uh, do I think Schilling was a great major leaguer? But I think he's a Hall of Fame. I, my, my, my line of uh, thought is always my line of thought. I'll be right. My, my process of thought is always if you have to think about it, you shouldn't be in. And I always thought of Schilling, and I'd always thought about him. Like, I never thought think about Randy Johnson, right? So, uh, fine. Schilling, did I always – sometimes I would have to sit there and have to examine it a little bit. And there was a lot of drama, you know, the bloody sock and – all his uh, different uh, various machinations, but but uh, but he had a lot of talent, and I could see Schilling as a Hall of Famer. Although I get it if uh, people object to it, but I I think if they're objecting to it, they're not objecting to the baseball part of it as much as they are his some of his Person. other things that he did yeah. in his, life, his lifestyle. Yeah, he was two sixteen and one forty six with a three four six, but he was a big game pitcher. Yes, he was. He had it's good postseason pitcher. Yeah, I agree with yeah. that. And I, you know, and, and if he gets in, I think he squeaks in. I'm not even sure. Even with Jack's phone, he's going to get in. You know, we'll see. <laughs> you know what's you know, what, Kevin? I have so much respect for you that I'm going to say this. In the words of Spanish for Gacy, it's time to land the plane. So let's land the plane. Consider it landed. See you, Flip. All right. <laughs>